Welcome to VC for Stupid Idiots. We are your idiots, Marianne, Michelle, and Francesco from NomadicMinds.Capital. Here, we interview the best investors on the planet to learn their secrets and tell them a lot of bad jokes. Then, we use their knowledge to invest in emerging market startups. Because this is the most effective way to lift people out of poverty and make outstanding returns. If you want to see what we are investing in this week, please join us at nomadicminds.capital. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of VCs for Stupid Idiots. Today we have with us a very special guest, Aaron. Aaron, would you please mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, I don't know if I'm the stupid idiot or if you guys are, but it's the audience, but I'm excited about this. Thank you for having me. Um, Aaron, Aaron Schwartz, based in the Bay Area. I'm currently the chief business officer at Loop Returns. We do returns within the Shopify ecosystem, all birds, figs, a bunch of brands. Before this, I spent about a decade as a founder, primarily in the commerce space. So we started a company called Passport that does international shipping for consumer brands, a company called Modify that was like kind of an earlier uh, direct-to-consumer brand. It was a watch company. It was pretty fun. And aside from that, I'm a, an investor in, a, I don't know, a couple dozen companies, very, very small checks, and an advisor to about a dozen companies, normally helping with fundraising, go-to-market, you name it, kind of generally in the mix in a lot of startup stuff out here. Got it. Yeah, so uh, we all know the go-to-market is like the bread and butter of success. So without go-to-market, you'll never be successful. What do you think are the main thing that there's a, that there's a successful startups should have when it comes to go-to-market? It's a good, it's a really good question. One of the nice things, so I just, I joined Loop maybe six months ago. And one of the delightful things here is like, we actually have a phenomenal product market fit and customers don't leave us and we have like very high retention. And so it makes it much easier to do go to market when you have great product market fit. I think at the earlier phase of a business, like at the, at the early, early days, what's most important is what I think of as consultative sales. So I, um, I'm, I'm talking much more about a B2B business instead of a B2C business. So let's at least frame it there. B2C, go to market, good luck. I have no idea. I'm not, I'm not the right guy to talk about it. But within B2B, I think thinking about consultative sales, saying like, hey, here's where we're going. What do you think, Mr. or Mrs. Customer? And then when she says, oh, that's interesting, but I thought you were going to go here. Maybe you say, yeah, actually, that's phase two. We could move it up to phase one, right? So I think in the early days, um, as much of go-to-market is actually not about you telling them what you do, but more about you setting the stage for your customers to tell you what they want, right? So if you think like, why Combinator? Build something people want, right? I think that is the right framing is more customer discovery investment. So, so I think that's number one is to figure out like what your product is, not because you think it's right, but because your customers are, are pulling you, right? Or are, are, are telling you. And then I think outside of that, it's really like a spirit of iteration. And again, I know this sounds very vague, but like you need to be iterating on pricing. You need to be iterating on packaging. You need to be iterating on how you tell the story. At the early, early days, as much social credibility as you can get, I think is useful. So having somebody who knows the buyer put in a good word, like getting warm intros versus cold outreach as much as possible is really critical. And then, yeah, I don't know. I could, I could start, I could keep going, but why don't I stop there and see what's most interesting for you guys to dig in on? 
So, yeah, uh, let's suppose I introduce you a startups today. Okay, so you've been investing and you see tons of startups. Yeah. And you have been operating and managing tons of startups and tons of successes. So you know what works and what doesn't. I introduce you a startup today. And the day after, you call me up and say, these startups is us absolutely disgusting. This is the worst meeting I've had this month or this year. What this guy or this girl, if he's a bad startup, possibly a guy. So what this guy- I was gonna say, if it's, a, if it's that bad of a startup, it's definitely not a woman. <laughs> it's okay. just a like, guy who's making it up as he goes, so carry on. Yeah, so what this guy, that we're, yeah. call, that we're going to call Francesco, just for clarity. Yeah, for for. Yeah. Is going, what I've told you. I, yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think I think the startups that are not appealing are the ones where it's like they have their idea and they haven't tested the idea at all, right? If you think about like the lead startup for framework, like Eric Ries, or um, if you're an entrepreneur, you should be reading a lot by Steve Blank, who kind of influenced so much of what's going on today. But even if you just go back 10, 20 years, you read like the articles or the books he's written, I think like Four Steps to the Epiphany, it will give you a really good sense of customer discovery, really deeply understanding like core customer needs and, and how to really iterate into, into the right idea. So I think I think the first turnoff would be a company who tells me all this stuff as fact and they don't actually know, they haven't validated. I think people who posture and especially at the early stages, if I'm working with somebody, I'm default assuming that they're wrong and I'm default assuming that they're gonna change their market. And I'm a, like, there's nothing that I expect them to be definitely correct about. And so if it's not somebody who's humble and not somebody who's candid, I probably don't want to work with that person. You know, that might be a weird signal. And I miss a lot of great deals because I'm pretty, I'm pretty strict on integrity, I guess. And like my definition of integrity isn't everybody else's. So this like, this is very much a subjective approach. But like, if I can't have an honest discussion and you say, actually, I don't know the answer to that. To me, that's a really big turnoff. Like I, I want, I want a team that is like grinding is working is collaborative and is honest all the way through. Because when it gets bigger and there's more money on the line, I want to make sure that this is the same founder who's going to be able to be honest and be like, hey, I don't know what to do right here. Help me. Not somebody who has like the perfect answer for every single thing. Within go to market, I think like within that framework, go to market would be like, this is definitely our price. Not, hey, this is what our price is today, but we're thinking, we, we, we don't know. We don't know. Let, let's, let's learn. It is, I have a pipeline and I'm going to close 30 deals next month, but they've never closed a deal yet. So it's like a lack of understanding of how sales cycles works. If it's, I think I'll be able to close 30 deals. I haven't done this before. What am I missing here? That's a very different discussion. And so I think it's more like certainty around clarity when there probably should be clarity. Yeah, I think that that that's that's the framing I've probably taken in most of this, specifically on a go-to-market side. Yeah, and if, if you dig down a bit into it, you were basically this is the number one killer of every startup because every nobody starts a startup thinking, yeah, this is gonna be shit. Everyone thinks, yeah, it's gonna be great. Uh, I've got no experience in I don't know enterprise states, but you know, I can close it, I can do it, I can contact those people. But then you you actually realize that's not true, and um, so I guess. Yeah. I guess what, that's why one of the key factors when investing is, and I don't know if I'm wrong, is someone has been doing the same task they are planning to do a new startup. So if someone that was VP of sales at Oracle is starting a B2B SaaS, then you can you can kind of assume he knows what, what he's doing, correct? 
So I think it's interesting. Yes and no. My most successful startup was a shipping company and I know nothing about logistics. And I was very fortunate to have a co-founder and Alex, like the CEO of Password, who had like touched enough of logistics where like the two of us could be dangerous because I had the customer pain and he had the ability to go build logistics and like combine that was, it was great because we weren't, we weren't looking at the industry, how a generic person from FedEx or DHL might've looked at it. We were looking at it from a completely different angle. And so we built like at the beginning, like a slightly worse, worse logistics company, but a much better customer experience company. And it turns out like the killer app, the killer feature for a consumer brand is like consumer experience with like slightly worse logistics. It's just like actually felt to be 10 X better, 10 X more impactful. Again, eventually then like the company built an on-par logistics service. So, right, eventually you need to catch up with that. So if I were to go get that VP of sales at or it's funny, my, my brother-in-law was a VP at Oracle. So now I'm like, I'm picturing him going to start. So I would fund him. He's a wonderful person. <laughs> uh, I, um, I don't know. It, de it depends on how good she is, right? Like, does she know it? And is she like, here are all the issues I ran into as a VP of sales and I'm going to solve these issues for other VPs versus here's a playbook. I'm going to rinse and repeat it. I think that's a, actually a really big question to have. It's like, if you know too much about a space, are you no longer like really innovating in the space? Okay, so there's a guy that worked in, so there's a guy that, a, a girl, because we keep the name of the guy. So there's a girl working as a, um, VP of sales in, I wouldn't say Oracle, let's say SAP. That's fine, let's just stick with yeah. it. Okay, and now she's starting another company, okay? And in a similar space, okay? What would you ask her? Yeah, so I, I don't know directly what I would ask, but the like specific things that I would be looking for, and Michelle, I saw you had a question too, so we'll go to you in a second, but let me let me see if I can give you my like two cents on this. The, the things that I think about when I think about a founder, if I'm gonna invest in, again, at the very, very early stages, right? Or if I'm gonna be an advisor, which is a much bigger commitment because it's a real time commitment, is the first one is founder market fit. It's like, does she really, whether she's like an expert in the market, I kind of care less about, but is she deeply passionate about solving the need? So like people talk about product market fit. And then I think the first person who ever told me founder market fit was James Courier from NFX, which is like any startup is a wealth of resources, nfx.com, like network effects. So I would recommend everybody read all that stuff. But like the, the founder market fit really matters. The second thing I care about is speed. So I don't want somebody, I'm fine with somebody being diligent and writing out her business plan and like that. Like you you get your your um, comfort level with running the business however you want to. But then it's like in between meeting one and meeting two, has she learned a lot? Has she experimented? Has she made product iteration? Even if they're worse, I don't really care. It's like when we have a discussion is that, does she come back and say, hey, I agree with you and I did this or I disagree with you, so I'm not doing it. Or is it like, let's have that same discussion in a second meeting and a third meeting. So speed is, is number two, founder market bid speed. I am very much an investor who cares about customer obsession. So like, is this somebody who not only cares about the market, but like cares about the customers because of how deeply I believe in the value of like teasing out information? Yeah, I think that from like the founder, there are different things I might look at it as a, at a business level, but I think those are like the key attributes of a founder. Fantastic. And the, uh, so the question I have is, with you seeing, uh, being an investor and seeing a few decks and being an entrepreneur yourself, what is the single most important piece of advice that you can give another founder? Man, that's big. I think, I think probably the most impactful non-standard thing that I had from the beginning of my first company is one of my best friends started a company about the same time. And at the time we weren't best friends. 
but we would talk all the time. And for whatever reason, like around business stuff, we just really, really connected. And we would talk about our teams and our work and our fundraising and the people who left us or fired, like everything, challenges, big challenges, small challenges. And having a peer who's in the same stage, who cares more about you than your company, but also somebody who you can get more into the weeds with, because, you know, it's like, if I talked about my employee, Francesco, and like by the third time I've talked about him, my buddy, who's, whose name is Bevin, he, I'll, I'll tell you his company second, but like, he would be like, hey, you already know the answer, right? And the answer is probably like, this isn't the right fit. It might be the wrong role. It might be the wrong company. But like, of all the things you and I could be talking about, we could talk about your fundraise, your next sale, your strategy. We're talking about this one employee every time. Like, let's, let's work through that. And so I actually think having like a peer individual or a peer set who deeply know your business, not as like a, an advisor who's like done it before, right? Who knows every, like who might have all the answers. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like the person who like for all intents and purposes is in the weed. I would give that person some equity as like an advisor and I would like find, find peers for that. Um, his company, by the way, is called Magoosh. It's like an ed tech company. So if you want to do like GRE, GMAT, any sort of test prep, um, and so his, like I was running a watch company, he was running an education company. They could not have been different. And it was the most valuable relationship that I had and the most impactful relationship I had. Got it, yeah. So a relevant question to what you say, uh, obviously it's not relevant. Uh, a relevant question to what you said before. What does stars and my grandma's teeth have in common? I don't know, I'm excited though. Yeah, they both comes out at night. So <laughs> one thing, how do you actually, so how do you kind of understand what you're looking, you know, into a founder when you have to decide if you invest or not, that can tell you that, yeah, this guy doesn't have product market fit yet, but I'm sure you're going to get there. I would never be sure. I, I write, yeah, so... Yeah. What is the main thing that'll tell you, okay, maybe if the founders are answering this way or if the founders is in this way, I guess there's a high chance he could get to. Yeah, so I think I think there's a difference between how I invest now and how I used to invest. I think what I what I used to do is like be like, could this be massive? Let's go. And what I think right now is, could this be so let's just call massive a $10 billion or bigger company and another in, in, in contrast, a company that I think could be worth 200 to 500 million, yeah. which again, for any entrepreneur is a massive win. But if you think about it as a venture capitalist, that's not a company you want to invest in. You guys have covered all that. Um, where I've started to focus more is like, I'm, I've always been founder first. So I'm right. I do, you know, kind of what I was sharing with Michelle or like or earlier, right? Like how, how I think about um, the right founder, because it's also a founder who I want to work with and I want to engage with. And somebody who's not customer obsessed, like I'm not going to enjoy my time so I'm, it's just like, it's not worth it for me to write that check to everything. But the, the thing that I look for now is like, do I believe that there is a 200, 500, like a big outcome for the founder? And do I believe that there's a chance that there's that follow on other outcome? So like, there's like a, not a clear path, not, not like a guarantee path, but a clear path to get to a good outcome and the possibility of a massive one. And that is much more of an angel investor perspective versus a venture capitalist perspective, I would say. But I think it's okay. It's like, if you make it here, then there's an unlock opportunity to go after this like massive, massive, massive market. But I care about you as a founder and you might be okay selling for 50, 100, 200 million, right? Versus five, 10, 100 billion type of thing. Can, can you ahead. see, yep. like with all your successes that you had, do, do you see any connection between them, like any specific founder trade or s skill that 
might stand out? It's a good question. First of all, I, I, I mainly failures, but I appreciate that for all the successes comment. I, I mean, I don't know. I think it's the stuff that I mentioned before. I think like true, do they care deeply about the market? Are they like fighting to solve the problem or are they fighting to tell people what they believe? Because if you're fighting to solve a problem, it's just different, right? You are like, you're, you're, you're open to other ideas. You're open to seeing it a different way versus if you're saying, hey, this is my worldview, therefore I'm going to do things this way. To me, like that's less appealing. And then really speed, I think matters. And then, I mean, grit, ultimately, I think it's, for me, it's very hard to identify who's going to be a gritty founder and who isn't. But like, if I look back at the ones who are successful, it was the ones who were gritty because everybody went through a really hard time. Like the most, the best example I have is Verto Education, which does like effectively like a new first year of college, second year of college, but you get to do it abroad. You get life experiences. And like, think about running a in-person college for all intents and purposes during the pandemic. And like, it would have been so easy to like shift everything about the business and like, I'd seen him for years before this, but even during the last two years, like that business has flourished and they had to like do a 180 on their business model. And like, I couldn't have done that if I was in his shoes. And like, he's gonna be the most, probably the, the biggest company that I've ever backed is like because of that. Wow, that's, oh that's fantastic. Yeah, so like grit, grit is like, I mean, it's like I would love to have found that they make money. Yeah, you never can understand at the beginning yeah. if they would make money or not. So same thing with grit. It's like, I would love to invest in gritty founders, but then you realize the grit comes out after like a long run. It's interesting. I think I think, we're, I, I think you can identify it. I think I'm just bad at it. So I think that there's a difference between somebody, I mean, like, look, look at myself, right? Like I grew up in a really, um, like a very well-to-do family and I went to an Ivy League school and like, there's nothing about my background that says grit. And I think like as a founder, my probably number one attribute is I'm extremely gritty because you wouldn't know it, but I'm like beyond competitive. And then like, I would work I, like I worked all day every day in my first couple of companies. Like it was, it was the only, I gave up, for, I gave up everything besides that. There's no way you could have identified that. However, if you look at somebody who came from like a less well-to-do background, who like was first generation in their college, came over as an immigrant, like people who've actually done the work, had three jobs during school, paid for it, also still had a 3.5 GPA and that, like, I think there are plenty of ways to identify it. I think it's just like, it's not, so, I, I, I just realized that it's a weakness of mine to figure out who actually has it and who doesn't. But I think like those are more likely not the right founder. And I think those are the underfunded founders, right? And so like there's actually this big market gap of like going to find the people who don't have the credentials who are actually going to be the best founders. Like if I was like running a fund, I'd start focusing that way. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's the common theme. So it's like the very good founders, the one that go Ivy League great, he isn't great, great. They always go to the same few names that we all heard about. And we... Yeah, poor investors. We just left with the bad one or the one that overlooked. Yep, got it. Cool. So um, our time is over. Um, yeah, Michelle, do you want to do the quick, quick fire? Yes, I'm ready. So how this works is, I'm gonna ask you three really fast questions, and I would like you to reply with either one sentence or one word. I'll try. Okay, perfect. What would you say is the hottest industry right now? Web3. Perfect. What advice would you give to other angels? Find other angels to co-invest with so you have people to debate ideas and like really vet things. Even if you're like writing your own checks, like find peers that you can debate every part of a company with. You'll, you'll just get smart. That's great. And the last question for tonight is, what country 
do can we expect like a massive growth from in terms of startups and ecosystem yeah yes i would assume everything i'm seeing out of india is like i mean there's just so much happening um even just like you're seeing it with the bigger companies acquiring too i would be stunned if it wasn't india as like in the in the top quartile let's say <laughs> yes, great. So that is all the questions we had for tonight. Yeah, I've got our last question. It's uh, better which be fun. animal plays sport? Yeah, which animal? No, it's not gonna be fun. I'm telling you, which which animal plays sports all the time? Ocelot. Yeah, uh, a bat. So thank you, thank you to our wonderful guest today. Uh, it's been absolutely great to have you and I hope you don't get all kind of bower jokes and thank it. you to all our listeners, all two of you. We love you and we keep uh, keep always in your heart. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you. Cheers.